What a great day. What a great day. Smoky day, but it's good. Smoky day. We're indoors. Husband producer is not indoors. He's not even wearing a mask outside. Oh, come on. What a weirdo. Uh, I'm I'm hoping that by next week, this will be like, wait, what was happening? Yeah. It's been so (laughs) encompassing, like, the world right now. Uh Uh-huh. It's like, sorry, Canada. We're really thinking about you. It's We're thinking about you. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I will say, I have three more days of school left. (laughs) Three? So this is the last podcast that I have to do on a school night for the next couple of months. And guess what? What? I only threw up on one Friday morning this whole school year. Yeah. (laughs) And I throw up all the time from drinking. (laughs) That's a problem. No, but it's because I just have a weak (laughs) stomach. I throw up all the time. Well, and you don't eat enough. Okay. Also true. (laughs) But I just like only one time this whole school year that's did I throw really up on a Friday. Impressive. So I'm really going for it tomorrow. Um, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Well, also like we drink less during the podcast now. I don't then know if we it's used to. Like I don't know if it's that noticeable, but like we used to get like wasted. Yeah. Oh my god, I was repeating myself. Like you know, yeah. when you repeat yourself a lot when you're drunk. Yeah. Uh-huh. It used to be a bear to edit the podcast. <laughs> now it's just like, wait, I have to clear my throat real quick. Yeah. That's all that happens. Um, so I'm so excited again. Happy Pride Month. Happy Pride. There's no pride in my story tonight. Although I'm sure there is. It's just not recorded. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I am, let's see, you are busy making sure that your house doesn't burn down. Right. Because this is her story. <laughs> oh, we're on the wrong place, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, we're on the wrong place. On the rocks! With Katie. And Allie. <laughs> this is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. We talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. But keep in mind, we are drinking the entire time and we obviously don't know the order of this podcast sometimes we don't know the order of this podcast i've already interviewed two authors tonight so i am already that was a lot two cocktails deep <laughs> going on three. Oh, it's gonna be a good night yeah but as ali said you're trying to make sure your house isn't burning down you're just surveying the damage of the smoke it's been really bizarre yeah i love the, the people posting on the west coast they're like oh first time yeah <laughs> Meanwhile, we're like, oh, my God, it's hazy. (laughs) Um, Nuts. Nuts, nuts. Yeah, you're busy doing that. So you can't take time away from it to look at your phone and look up what these women look like. So in order for you to get a picture in your head while we're telling their story, we're going to describe them for you. We're going to get a little physical, physical. Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like? So I am doing Eleanor of Aquitaine. And the actual answer to that question is we have no no idea. So she was alive in the 1100s, and it was before um, kings and queens had accurate portraits done of themselves. Um, Her beauty, though, was praised. But a lot of times people were, like, always, like, lauding the beauty of their queen. So we weren't sure how accurate that was. However, with her... It seems like she was a beauty of the ages. Okay. So um, she's extra, extra party. Uh, <laughs> when she was young, she was described as more than beautiful. Mm. Around 30, she was noted as gracious, lovely, and the embodiment of charm. Wow. With lovely eyes and noble continence. And people recalled that she had admirable beauty. So. Okay. She's very lovely she's very she's a 
pretty, pretty woman while people are dying in rat-infested Europe. Perfect. Love that. I'm just picturing, like, Amal Clooney. That's, like, what I'm going to yeah. picture in my mind. Okay. I don't know if that's at all. There's a lot of, like, close. medieval <laughs> art of her and, like, romance-era art of her, but uh-huh. it's just based on the beauty standards of the time. Right. So she was just, like, whatever was hot back then. Yeah. I don't know what that was. <laughs> I'm not, I didn't exist then, so I'm not sure. Okay. Who are you doing? What does she look like? Uh, I'm doing Lucy Liu, who is hot right now. Um, <laughs> she is a gorgeous Chinese-American woman who is 5'3", which I was actually surprised by. Are you shocked? She walks tall. She strikes me as a very tall person. She ties me, she strikes me as 5'7", uh, at the least. I, I was like, I'm sure she's like 5'10", or yeah. something like that. She's a like, tall, tall baby, but no. Three. Had no idea. I would have totally lost the height game if we yep. were playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, maybe I just feel that way because she's like a bona fide action star. Mm-hmm. She has a lean, muscular body. She has cheekbones to die for and long black hair that is sometimes dyed blonde, which always throws me for a loop. Yeah, man. But it looks good on her. Uh, but her best feature has to be her wide smile that can turn into a fierce stare at a moment's notice. And also a part of her that I think adds a lot of charm to her is her voice. I was listening to a lot of interviews and stuff with her over the week, and she has the most adorable voice and laugh. Like, it's a little bit husky. Yeah, she's very cute. Yeah, and it just, like, really made me fall in love with her. So that's what she looks like. Yay! (laughs) How fun. This is going to be an interesting pairing. I don't know what is happening or why we chose this. (laughs) Um, Both bangers from entirely thousands of years apart. Yes. Um, all right. So do you want to know what you're drinking? I do. It looks adorable. You're going to have to edit this or down when you're writing about it on Instagram. Okay. <clears throat> this drink is called You Stand in the Presence of Eleanor Stormborn <laughs> of House Aquitaine, rightful heir to England's throne, rightful queen of France, and the only female vassal of the Middle Ages, the grandmother of Europe, the Duchess of Normandy, the mother of Lionheart, and the breaker of her own damn chains. Oh my gosh! A real Daenerys Targaryen. Cheers. Oh, I didn't tell you what was in it. Oh. You like it? The title was so long. You want to guess? Yeah, I really went for Daenerys because she has so many titles and I didn't even mention some of them. Definitely cinnamon. Yeah, Goldschlager. Goldschlager. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Champagne. Yeah. Well, actually I made sparkling wine. Okay. Because she... Because... She was not in control of champagne. Oh. In France. <laughs> That's an actual place. So I literally picked something that wasn't champagne. Perfect. Um, there's definitely lime because there's yep. lime peel. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to figure out what the red thing would be. What is it? Campari. Campari. Mm-hmm. It's really good. I like it. The Campari makes it like a little bitter. And yeah. I like that. And there's also simple syrup and a pinch of salt. Ah, perfect. It's really good. I yeah. like it. Like the cinnamon's not overpowering, which I like. Yeah, Goldschlager's really nice with that. And mm. I just, the gold I really needed for her. She's perfect. She's royal. I know. She's so royal. <laughs> okay. Tell me what you know about Eleanor of Aquitaine. Absolutely nothing. Okay. I feel like I thought she was a fictional character. Ah. <laughs> nope, she's real life. Um, yeah, I definitely thought she was like a, kind of like a Godiva figure. Okay, cool. That's kind of what I was like imagining in my mind. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I don't know anything. I just like, you know, her name. Yeah. But I don't know. I didn't even know she had anything to do with France. Mm-hmm. Hmm. She does. Okay. Yeah, Perfect. it's so. <laughs> she, her story was really interesting and she is a big banger from history, but she's one of those that if you read the Wikipedia page, there's so many names of so many players that you just quit. 
right. halfway through. So like, I tried to like splice out who these guys are and like simple it down a little bit so it's not like boring and me just pretending that I know all these medieval men but right. we'll see how I did because it's interesting godspeed <laughs> so I was researching finishing up my research last night on the back porch next to sister and I was like I'm telling Katie I'm not doing medieval Europe anymore <laughs> and she goes no you're not and I was like I know I'll be we so gotta be running out of medieval ladies at well, some point you know do they really keep the records that long mm. honestly how, did, are they really that reliable 60 percent of them die <laughs> yeah. in the black plague <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Okay. So my sources are I watched the uh, YouTube series History Extra, which are like those little cartoons oh, that I they do. Those. I love those. Mm-hmm. I read Feminism and French Women in History. I read Top Facts You Should Know about Eleanor of Aquitaine. And then I watched um, like a more official biography on her that was on YouTube that was like 45 minutes long. It was pretty good. Um, so, yeah, that just it just kind of put all of the – players in my head so I could read the Wikipedia page and have some merit to it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like this Love is crazy. It. All right. <laughs> Eleanor's year of birth, just like what she looks like, is unknown. <laughs> it's definitely uh in the eleven hundreds. It could have been as late as eleven thirty seven, but could have been as early as eleven twenty four. So a lot of her ages in this story are there's like a ten year gap that we're not sure of but we do know uh that she died at 82 so she lived a very long life she was 82 in the middle ages that is shocking i know i'm not even gonna make it to 82 (laughs) not a chance in hell (laughs) so yeah she made it a long long time her dad was (laughs) i keep saying in my head william x which is just (laughs) the 10th He was the Duke of Aquitaine, which is a large, large chunk of modern-day France. Okay. Like, he owned more, like, property. Because this is the feudalism time period where each of the lords owned property and then paid fealty to the king. Mm -hmm. So he owns, like, most of France. Okay. Uh, He's very, very wealthy. Um, Her mom is... Name name is Anor and terrible name. I know, I know. And she was that one does not make a comeback. No, no, no. (laughs) It does not. (laughs) Um, and she was the daughter of William the Ninth's mistress. So I think they were half siblings. Hmm. I think they had the same dad, different moms. I tried googling it, but I couldn't quite splice it. Ouch. Uh, but her parents were an arranged marriage. They set it up just like everything back then. Mm -hmm. By all accounts. Her father ensured the best education possible for her. He got her taught arithmetic, constellations, history, domestic skills, household management, needlework, such as embroidery, needlepoint, sewing, spinning, and weaving. She was also a great conversationalist. She could dance. She could play games like backgammon, checkers, and chess. She could play the harp and sing. She was also taught languages and was well-versed in literature, music, writing, hawking, and hunting. Oh my gosh! I can't even play backgammon. I can't even do the simplest of her yeah. hobbies. The what? I can't even play chess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like what? Yeah, she is just so talented and so educated, and she's extroverted and lively and intelligent and strong-willed. And what's interesting is 
Have you ever been around one of those families that's like really touchy feely and loves each other and they're all just so great to each other uh-huh. like our family? Uh-huh. <laughs> they just everybody loves each other. It's totally, totally fine. Um, they're a big, passionate, get together, lovey, huggy. Wow. Family. I love that for them. Yeah. So the Middle Ages. Her, I know. Her personality really is built off of that, that she's a strong, confident woman and her family loves her. Yeah. So she did have a four-year-old brother, William, and um, he and her mother died the same year when she was about six or seven. Uh, so then she became the heir presumptive uh-huh. to her dad. And this is the largest, richest province in France, like I said. And her dad still wrote her into the will <sighs> as the heir to the to the land. Oh my gosh! Yeah, this guy. That's Will- incredible. William X. Yeah. <laughs> Billy X. You mean? <laughs> Billy X. His porn star name. I love it. <laughs> Billy X. Inches. <laughs> I hate myself. Oh my gosh. So. She did have one full sister who was younger than her and at least one half brother who was illegitimate. So he was not an heir. But when she rose up in power, she had both of them come live with her like in in her palaces later Mm -hmm. on. So Eleanor is a teenager. She's traveling with her dad. They get to a destination and she's left in charge of the archbishop. I mean, she's like 12 years old, (sighs) but. He's training her up like you're mm-hmm. in charge. You are the vassal in the, or they're the vassal. You're the Lord at this point. So you're in charge when you come here. Um, but her dad goes out on this pilgrimage. It's Good Friday. He dies. <gasps> She's somewhere between 12 and 15 years old and has become the Duchess of Aquitaine. Oh, my gosh. Making her the most eligible heiress in all of Europe. My dream title. <laughs> what? When you're 13? Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like terrifying. <laughs> Can you imagine being like 13 and on AIM and like trying <laughs> away status, being the most eligible heiress in France? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no scrubs. <laughs> Kings only. <laughs> so um, this in the Middle Ages, made her apt for the kidnapping. Oh, no! Because that was a viable option for obtaining a title, kidnapping a young lady duchess. <laughs> so the day her dad died, he certified in his will that he appointed her the responsibility of the King of France, King Louis VI, as her guardian. Um, and it... The will asked that the king take care of both the land and the duchess until they find her a suitable husband. Um, so people show up to the king in France and are like, hey, we're so, so sorry. We're so, so sorry. <laughs> the first and only owner of this wonderful province has died. And he's like, oh. This is terrible. <laughs> William X, I miss you. What a pickle. And then people walk out of the room and he does like the fist bump. Thing. Yeah. yeah! <laughs> He's so, so excited because he has a son. Um, he was known as Louis the Fat. And also, I do want to say, she's not only first, but the only woman to have a duchy. 
which was like that. I know that sounds so fucking dumb, <laughs> but to have that land in Europe, like to have a vassal. I never knew it was called. I that. know. I was like regretting having to say it. That's why I skipped that part. Wow, that is like such a different take on pass the duchy to the left hand side. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> pass all your lands to me. Um, pass the feudal state to the left hand side. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Okay, so she's got this duchy. She's eligible. She's the eligible. He's like, perfect. He's I like, have a son. Perfect. <laughs> I I have dysentery and I'm dying, <laughs> but I have a son, also named Louis, and um, he really should get married. How old is Lu- little Louis? He's also a teenager. Oh, okay. a couple so years older. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Glad also a teenager. Like gross. I'm glad he wasn't trying to marry her, the old king. (laughs) What's interesting, though, is that so his son, Philip, Mm -hmm. this is a true story. Mm -hmm. I didn't write this in my notes. (laughs) His son, Philip, was the heir to the throne. But then Philip was riding a horse and there was a pig in like the street and the pig came up and scared the horse. And then Philip fell off the horse and died. A pig horse incident. God, that's the worst kind. (laughs) Those are the kinds I avoid. So... Philip was the one being trained to be king, and Louis was in the monastic order, so he was going to be, like, a monk. So he was super religious and pious and, like, you know, straight as an arrow. And she's like, I'm educated and a worldly woman. <laughs> like, and now they're paired together. Should that be the theme song to our podcast? We're worldly women. <laughs> yeah. I'm we can't s- play back in. <laughs> I'm going to sing that from now on. Or chess. Or chess. Um, okay. So Louis super excited. He's like, okay, I need somebody to go pick up this 13-year-old girl, maybe 15, from Aquitaine. Take 500 nights because <laughs> somebody's going to try to snatch her up on the way back here. So July 25th, 1132, Eleanor and Louis are married they're immediately appointed duke and duchess of aquitaine it was agreed though that um in her dad's will aquitaine would stay independent of france and under eleanor's control until they birthed a male heir so she owns this land i only love that when she has a boy will the two lands merge Okay. Also, at the wedding, Eleanor gave Louis a rock crystal vase, which you can currently go see at the <gasps> Louvre. What? It's the only thing we own of hers at all. Oh, my gosh. At the Louvre. I also love that what? she was like, I know what you're trying to do, so I'm going to like put in my own little stipulations mm-hmm. because I know what's going on. Like She's not stupid, and she's I like, like that about I, her. Like I'm pretty, but like I also have so much money. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Louis... And Eleanor, Mm -hmm. their tenure as Duke and Duchess only lasted a few days because Daddy died a couple days after the wedding, and they, two teenagers, are crowned (laughs) the King and Queen of France. God, what a wedding present. France. (laughs) Man, producer, why didn't you get me France? (laughs) We just got Home Depot gift cards. Louis was like, you got me this vase, let me kill my dad. (laughs) I'll do anything for you, baby. Eleanor was not very popular oh, in the no. North. Lewis's mother thought that she was flighty and a bad influence. The church elders used her as a scapegoat. And although 
Louis thought she was beautiful and at first was really enamored with her, like with her in general, he, the kids didn't vibe. They didn't vibe. Like I said, their personalities were so, so different. Mm-hmm. Um, he did grant her a lot of her whims, though, because she was a very powerful woman, and that vexed a lot of people. Um, because there's a lot of money going into like fixing the palace in Paris to make it more comfortable for her, because she didn't really like the people and they didn't like her. She hated life in the French palace. Ugh. She hated the king's advisors. They didn't like her to be opinionated. Uh, they feared her so much that they made her feel hopeless. Soon after Louis King, he's got to, like, pick this new pope. And I'm going to scan over this story because I fucking hate the Holy Roman Empire. I, like, cannot. <laughs> it just, I can't vibe with it. So he has to pick this new pope. He thinks one guy should do it. The Holy Roman Empire thinks some other guy should do it. But also, one of the guys involved wants to marry Eleanor's sister, but he's already married. So Louis has to get him to divorce the first wife so that he can marry Eleanor's sister. So all this is going on, and everybody is blaming Eleanor. They're like, you're the reason he wants the Pope, and you're the reason that his sister's getting married to so-and-so. A two-year war breaks out over this. Oh, my gosh. It's an Anne Boleyn situation. It is. Everybody's pissed off. And Louis accidentally burns down this, like, building where hundreds of innocent people were hiding. He kills all these innocent people. Not a good look, No, not a good look for a pious, pious man. (laughs) So, I don't know. Everybody's mad that this is happening, and she's the number one scapegoat. That's Mm -hmm. a thing for her story. It's very common. Yeah. So, um, she, the, the church comes to her and they're like, how could you do this? And she's like, I'm sorry. I'm just so sad because I don't have a baby. Mm. And they're like, oh, you're right. That's what women like babies. (laughs) (laughs) It's insane, Katie. She was playing them. She was playing them because, okay. When you think about it, she was 13 when they got married, probably, Women got their periods later then. Mm-hmm. Like, we get them much earlier now. Mm-hmm. And then also, he was super pious, and the church had certain days you weren't allowed to have sex, certain days in the menstrual cycle, and most royals ignored those. Louis's not the type right. to ignore those. So it was very hard for her to get pregnant. She mm. had had one miscarriage to this point, but that's uh-huh. all we know of. Oh, well, at least he doesn't have any STDs. Yeah. Take that off the table. Yeah, exactly. He's not a cheater. So that's nice. Not a cheater. <laughs> Good for you. You killed innocent people, no STDs. <laughs> I don't know what I'd rather, a cheater or a murderer. Oh, I would rather a murderer. Yeah, for sure. Because then they can go to jail for what they've done. Right, exactly. Cheating, (laughs) there's no legal I can just kick you out of the house and take your shit. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes. Sounds fine. Yes. (laughs) Half the time. Okay. So um, she does finally get pregnant. She has a girl. Yeah. No boy, no (laughs) Aquatine. She has a girl. She names her Marie, Maria. I can't remember. Louis, though, um, felt really guilty about burning this church down. So he's like, I am going to go on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. But if you know anything about the Middle Ages, the Pope was like, "Ah, a pilgrimage? Let's make it a crusade. Ah, let's make it. Let's make it a crusade. Get the whole gang back together. (laughs) Wouldn't that be fun? (laughs) Crusade number two. We already did one. We We attacked Jerusalem. It was a lot of fun. Damascus, Antioch. We were really going down there. We were doing Mm -hmm. what we needed to do. Mm -hmm. So let's send him. Let's do it again. Let's try to get it back. 
party of 5,000. I love it. <laughs> Perfect. So uh, Eleanor, of course, would not be left out. She's like, you're going on a crusade with France? I'm taking Aquitaine on a crusade so we can atone for our bullshit as well. So she gets all her crew together, and they're going on, like, a conjoined <laughs> crusade his and hers crusades i love it (laughs) she left from apparently where mary magdalene was buried she was like really trying to do it she was like i'm gonna start with mary magdalene not fucking jesus although jesus is cool as shit but she was just like really doing the feminist thing i know i like her (laughs) Uh, not crusades i hate the crusades (laughs) let me put that out there um the this crusade the second crusade is popularly like a huge failure neither (laughs) of these people well It was a success for the Muslims, I guess. It was a failure (laughs) for the Catholic Church. (laughs) Like, neither of them had any military prowess at all. But they spend some time in Constantinople once they get to the Turks. And the people there fucking love her. They're like, she is like the mythical queen of the Amazons. They call her Goldfoot, which is why I use Goldslugger. Because she had this um, cloth-like cloak that she wore that had gold stitching around, Uh. like, the hem. And it just, like, flowed around her feet. Who does she think she has? Gertrude Bell? What? I know. (laughs) I love her. She's a treat. (laughs) So they're calling her Goldfoot. Whatever. They're marching. They're marching. They get to Antioch. And this... German king comes stumbling bloody out of the Turks, out of Turkey, whatever, Constantinople, now Istanbul, it doesn't matter, comes stumbling out, and he's like, yo, the Turks are really hard to fight, like, maybe don't go down there, so him and his army are stumbling home, um, and they're like, no, let's go, this will be great, and she's like, I actually don't want to do that, I want to stay with my uncle Raymond, like, her uncle, called Raymond the Handsome, her uncle lives is like in charge of Antioch, the England part of An or the French part of Antioch, whatever. Right? Because like obviously she's busy in the capital. She, mm-hmm. you know, she's hanging out. I understand. She's like, I'm not trying to uncle go. Raise. He's in cool. Charge. He's cool. He's fun. My uncle's in charge. But again, their family's really huggy lovey, and then they get together and they just start talking in their own language louis hates this (gasps) he's jealous of the fact that they're so cuddly he's jealous of the fact that they speak their own language he starts spreading rumors she's having an affair with her uncle oh louis poor taste poor it's like you don't even have sex with her on sundays yeah what do you want her to do the sabbath katie respect it come on so she's like this is so stupid. So this is the first time that she confronts the church and asks for the wedding to be annulled. She says, we can be annulled because technically we're third cousins. We're too close in family. We didn't know at the time. The Catholic Church goes, and Louis goes, absolutely not. Fuck <laughs> you. Get on the train and get yourself to Jerusalem. The train. The walking train. The walking train. <laughs> the walking train to Jerusalem. So she's like, fine. She's embarrassed. She's upset. She's like, everybody knows she tried to get the marriage annulled and they wouldn't let her. So they're walking to Antioch up um, or no they're in Antioch they're walking to Damascus just like Paul and they're trying to get there and they're in a straight line because this mountain pass is so hard and the Turks just start picking them off with bows and arrows and they blame her (laughs) because guess what they said she had too much luggage (laughs) too much luggage Okay. That's what they're saying. This is uh, reminding me of how they'd be like, oh, a storm on the ocean came. Must be because there's a woman on board. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, a woman at gosh. the Crusades. How could we? Okay. How could we? <laughs> so 
I mean, all of this to say, they're definitely going to get defeated. They try to, like, they try to put a siege around Damascus, which is, like, such a well-kept city with, like, so much supplies. You would have to, like, surround them for five years years for them to run out of shit. Like, you can't do that to Damascus. Anyway, not the point. It's not the Alamo. (laughs) Remember it. (laughs) I just did. Good. A plus. Okay. So... They, like, go to leave, right? They get on separate boats. They're, like, going to take a boat to Rome and then walk home. And she's like, I'm not even getting on a fucking boat with you. <laughs> she hates him so much. She hates him. She's oh, great. Gosh, it's also exactly what I would have done. <laughs> I don't want to be on your boat, buddy. I'll wait for the next one. <laughs> I'm like, going with Jim Hawkins. <laughs> You know how long it takes for the next one to come? She's at the boat stop for 15 years. (laughs) And her husband's like, are you Odysseus? Where have you been? Yeah, and I found the pig island, and you were on it. (laughs) And your brother fell off his horse there. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. Did your brother's horse stumble upon you? (laughs) Cersei's like, hey, girl, <laughs> let's have tea. Love what you're doing. <laughs> totally feeling your vibes. So, that was so many directions. <laughs> so Eleanor, though, is on this boat, and she's not just avoiding her husband. She's fucking learning. So these boats had a thing for the first time called maritime law. And she brings maritime law back to France and England and is instrumental in trade agreements with the Middle East. Hey, Michael Bluth. Wow. <laughs> She's a big deal. Deep cut, but <laughs> yeah, that was very deep. I'm, I'm bleeding out. <laughs> the wound. The wound of that joke. <laughs> okay. But here's the deal. Their marriage has been on the rocks for a while. <laughs> For a while. Nice plug. I know. It was for me. Um, the crusade. Oh, my God. I feel like such a douchebag when I do that during the interview. <laughs> Just so we all know. You don't have to. No, I do. It's great. Okay. <laughs> all right. Marriage is on the rocks. Then she and Louis get back, and they're like, we both now really want to get this annulled. The opposite boat situation is a problem. And the boat, like, puts them in marriage counseling and is like, no, you're not getting annulled. And he, like, makes a little bed for them, and he's like, see, this is where you have the sex. Oh, my God. Then they have the sex again, and she gets pregnant again, and she's crossing her fingers. Girl, 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 girl. Gender reveal. It's a girl! Aquitaine is saved. And at this point, Louis is like, look, we've been married 15 years. There are no boys. This woman cannot physically have boys. Clearly, it's her fault. Mm-hmm. Um, so they get granted the annulment on the grounds that they are too closely related. Uh, the daughters get to stay legitimate heirs. Okay. Um, Eleanor can go back to Aquitaine and take uh-huh. her land, but Louis gets custody of the kids. Ooh. Yeah, they're property of the crown. God. Catch 22 yeah, of the woman. That sucks. God. While she's traveling home to her territory, three separate dudes try to kidnap <sighs> her. She's 28 now. Hottie, yeah. hottie. She's full woman. Twenty. She's not 12 anymore. 28. Three guys try to kidnap her so that she can marry him up. Mm. But she sends a message to Henry and says, hey, boy, come and marry me ASAP. Which one is Henry? Henry. Is you know the heir to the English throne, 
I don't know. She was oh, just the queen of one France. Of, one of those Henrys. Okay. She's like, I'm a Henry II. <laughs> She's like, you know, I was, ju- I was just the queen of France. Like, I feel like I'm 28. You're 19. We're both hottie hotties. Like, can I've you had just, experience. Can you just meet me in Aquitaine? Like, <laughs> meet me meet in Aquitaine. In Aquitaine. <laughs> <laughs> so quick. That was both of us. <laughs> so they go to Aquitaine. Uh, and they get married. Eight weeks after the annulment. This happens so fast that most people think Eleanor and they had met the year prior. Mm -hmm. Most people think Eleanor and Henry had probably kind of prearranged this. Now, not like a prearranged it like we're cheating, but prearranged it like, hey, I'm trying to get this annulled. Do you want to get married? Like, if I, get I have a whole bunch of fucking land. Like, yeah. are you comfortable with this situation? Right. Um, because their match, while maybe not a love match, is more of a love match than with Louis. Like, they genuinely okay. were passionate and, like, into each other. Okay. But also, a passionate man is a cheating man. Henry Ugh. was also a big cheater, unlike Louis, who was not okay. a cheater. So he had a lot of illegitimate kids, but she was still mm. fucking powerful as shit. Again, what would you prefer? Obviously, she preferred the cheater over, over the murderer. The murderer. <laughs> she, not the way I would go. No, but, you know. this is a would you rather situation of the you know. ages. <laughs> <laughs> Women, you have two choices. <laughs> Cheater or murderer. <laughs> I'll take the latter. <laughs> so, okay. To, to back up a little, Henry is the, like, I'm saying he's the future king because he is, but his dad hadn't, like, his granddad had made his mother heir to the throne, and England wasn't cool with that like France was with her. So his cousin, Philip, tried to come in and take it from Matilda. And, like, all this shit's happening. So there's multiple people in contention that all kind of have to die. Mm -hmm. And they do. Mm -hmm. They all die in the Mm -hmm. exact right order. Mm -hmm. So um, it's also weird that she got annulled from Louis because they were too closely related. But she's more closely related to Henry. Weird. It's like third cousin to a second cousin. Okay. But whatever. Four months after she's married to Henry, she is pregnant and it's a boy. <sighs> Guess whose fault it was, Louis? <laughs> Aquitaine is on lockdown for England, not for France. Oh, what an idiot, Louis. You blew, it. you blew it. So then, October 25th, 1152. <laughs> Such a specific date. I know. Henry becomes king of England. And his pregnant Eleanor wife with her second baby. Wait, so she's already had the boy. She's had the boy when he when was a he prince. Was a prince. Okay, now he's king. Now he's getting she's king. He's kinging up. She's getting pregnant and king me. She's getting pregnant again. <laughs> we can play chess, actually. <laughs> she's getting. I think that's checkers. What? I think king me's checkers, right? You put the one on top of the one. You're right. Yep. <laughs> it's it's okay. It's the black and red versus the black and white. It gets a little weird. Okay, <laughs> so. She, (laughs) (laughs) I would love that. They're like, we're not playing chess. We're playing checkers. (laughs) It's actually on my level. (laughs) Get on my level, level. So Eleanor's crowned. She's pregnant. Second baby. Also a boy. Whoa. Had a baby. It's a boy. (laughs) Remember that commercial? Wait, wait. For AT&T, they're calling collect. You know, you used to have to call collect on payphones. Had a baby, it's a boy. Yeah. Had a baby, it's a boy. That's how we called the name, so we didn't have to pay for it. What a good commercial. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. All I'm picturing is Carrot Top on the beach or, like, the little um, <laughs> little phone booth ones. 
That's what I'm picturing. I don't want to picture that. Can anybody relate? Can um, relate? <laughs> so over the next 13 years, she bears five sons and three <laughs> daughters for him. For Henry? For Henry! She had five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten children? Yes. <laughs> Ten children. Lived <laughs> eighty-two. She's listen. She might be a Duggar at heart. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Um, but okay, their marriage was, like I said, passionate. But with passion, it's tumultuous. It's argumentative. They were both powerful. He's not super faithful to his wife. And historians take this two ways. Some historians report that Eleanor seemed to be ambivalent to this attitude uh-huh. she didn't really care as long as he wasn't publicly flaunting his affairs keeping the kids not as heirs like whatever and some people say they're yelling at each other around the castle but then there's reports of her raising one of her illegitimate sons in westminster so she's just like whatever i've been the queen of france now i'm the queen of england everything's fine can you imagine being the queen of two countries no i can't even be the <laughs> president of one country <laughs> I can't even be like a woman living in America right now. <laughs> I yeah, I can't. Ex- I can't exist hard. as like human. <laughs> um, but shit's going wild. Like everyone in Aquitaine only listens to her, and that does kind of irk Henry's nerves. He's like, "You have a son now. Like we own this together." And Eleanor goes, hmm, "No." Side note, at some point, her ex-husband, Louis, gets remarried, has more daughters. That wife dies, gets remarried again, has daughters and sons. And then Eleanor and Henry marry one of their daughters off to one of his sons. Weird. Marry your kid to your ex-husband's kid? That's super awkward. I don't know. That was a side note I couldn't not say. imagine that wedding? Nobody's going. Nobody can go. Nobody's going. Everybody's just like, are you on the groom side or the bride side? And you're like, boom. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know where to sit. I'll just sit right in the middle of the aisle. <laughs> Thank you very much. Crisscross applesauce. <laughs> um, okay. By late 1166, Eleanor, like, is really turning a blind eye to Henry's affairs, but he now has a special affair. Rosamond Clifford, which I'm going to cover her. She sounds cool. <laughs> um, this affair started when she was pregnant with John, her youngest. And this woman is very famous for her beauty. And it kind of sounds like a mirror, mirror on the wall situation. Like, who's the fairest of them all? Like, mm-hmm. Eleanor was so beautiful. But now she's getting up there in age. And Rosamond's kind of taking over. But the problem becomes that Henry starts to acknowledge her publicly. Like, she gets to move into the castle. There's all this stuff. And Eleanor, she's not trying to break it off. She goes, like, can I just go home? Can we stay right. married and I go live in Aquitaine and you live here in England and everybody's fine? A totally reasonable request. And instead of being crazy about it, he's like, sure, I'll oh. send knights to escort you home. I love that. There okay. are people. Take them home. Go Perfect. home. Go home, baby. I'll keep all a thousand heirs that you bear <laughs> that you bore me. Um, So she goes to Aquitaine. She's got a personal guard. Some of them get killed in a skirmish, whatever, whatever. So now she's alone and arguably at this point, is one of the most powerful points in her life. It's like an eight-year gap when she is making all the decisions in Aquitaine on her own without Henry. She's like the hand of the king in a separate place. So this is possibly a myth. While she's there, Eleanor is famous for what's called the court of love. What? So her and her daughters <laughs> and her girlfriends are like, first, everybody needs to learn 
uh, like all the troubadours, everybody here needs to learn chivalry and courtly. She's like s- starts finishing school. What? She like makes it up. She's like, okay, now everybody has to be like super chivalrous. It's going to be beautiful. And then okay, Emily Post, what? her and her panel of friends and her daughter hear cases in Aquitaine of like lovers quarrels. They're like the court and jury of love. Can you believe it? No, I. I love this. There's a book written about this that details 21 of the most famous cases. And one of them was whether or not true love can exist in a marriage. And they decided it's likely not true. <laughs> <laughs> likely not. So all these noble women are deciding on these love things. I. All right. But it's, that's a, that is an interesting question. Maybe we should do it for Patreon. Ooh. Love it. Yes. Good. All right. Join us for Patreon for as little as a dollar a month if you want to hear our thoughts on true love. I love that. Which is in a particular moment for me because I'm going to fight with my husband tonight. So we'll I was going to fight goes. with my husband last week, remember? I know. All right, guys. Over the, the same thing. <laughs> Over the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So there's a lot of people that say they don't know if this actually happened. Maybe they just called themselves the court of love or like had this little club. Doesn't matter. What actually we know is that they were huge patrons of the art and poetry and singing and acting. And, like, it was just a really peaceful time in Aquitaine when she could build up the culture of her community. But in March 1173, her oldest son, Henry's son, not Henry husband, Mm -hmm. is angry. So here's what happens. Henry's dad is like, hey, Henry's son, Jr., do you, the the eighth, hundredth, third, (laughs) Do you want to be the co-king of England so I can train you up? And he's like, oh, my God, Dad, that would be a treat. Thank you, please. Um, and he puts him on but doesn't let him do anything. And then he says, hi, son, uh, Richard, you be the regent of Aquitaine. Go for it. Learn things. And guess what Dad lets him do? Nothing. Hey, Joffrey, son, you take Brittany. What's he do? Nothing. John, you can't have any land. Did he really have a Joffrey? Yeah, he did. Wow. I know. So funny. I know. And John gets known as John Lackland at this time. And it's like super embarrassing for him to be like the only son that doesn't get given like a province. Mm -hmm. So Henry's pissed. And he like unleashes his evil. He gets his two teenage brothers, William or Richard and Joffrey together. And it's like, all right, we're going to stage a revolt against our dad. He's not letting mom rule. He's not letting us rule. We're the ones that are good at it. Let's kick dad off the throne. Ding dong. The governor blames the witch, Eleanor. She must have started this result. She must have stirred the pot within her sons to make this happen. Um, And, like, at some point, Eleanor leaves her castle to go, like, meet with her sons or go do something. But Henry, dad, had sent people to arrest her just out of Aquitaine. The king doesn't even announce that he's going to arrest her. He takes her to a secret location. Nobody knows where the queen is for like a year. And then he ships her to Windsor Castle where she becomes a house arrest prisoner. She's more and more distant from her sons. She's only released from house arrest for the special occasions where she has to look like she is a queen. So like Christmas and shit like that. Um, She has to watch from the sidelines while her family tears themselves apart. Now, her house arrest is in castles with servants. So, but she is not allowed out. She has supervision 24-7. Um... 
During this time, Henry lost the woman he loved, Rosamond Clifford. Some people have said Eleanor poisoned her, but mm-hmm. I think that they're just like making shit up. And I don't again, think she really people cared. Die a lot in the Middle Ages. <laughs> yeah, she could have died of poison, and it was like cockroaches in her soup or something. Right. Who mm-hmm. knows? During all the revolting of the sons, Henry, the oldest and the heir to be the king of England, died of dysentery. Ooh. And Henry's dad doesn't even go to tell Eleanor. He sends a messenger to Come house on. arrest. Like, your son's dead. Fun. <laughs> because Ugh. all of her children, minus one, makes it to adulthood. Which, again, that's crazy for the Middle Ages. Crazy. So Henry's dead. And then he's... Henry dad is like oh my god he gave so much shit to his wife and then he's upset because he's like oh my god I made Richard in charge of Aquitaine but now he's also the heir to England so now Richard is technically more powerful than me even though I'm I'm the papa so um Henry is like somebody go get Eleanor and bring her back close to me so she can be in house arrest next to me so he's kind of using her as like the ticket to Aquitaine Mm -hmm. still um she even um, traveled with her husband around the government, but has supervision everywhere she goes. John is pissed. Eleanor, um, like her oldest daughter, has now been married off to Castile. Okay. So we have one daughter in Castile, one daughter in Sicily. Henry's dead. Richard has stuff. Joffrey has stuff. John has nothing. All these names are going to mean something in a couple minutes, and okay. you'll be excited about it. Perfect. Um. So Henry II ends up, like, trying to figure out, like, who's going to be the heir. But he dies. Henry II dies. And Richard, his son, becomes the undisputed heir because nothing had been put into place. Mm -hmm. As his first act, he freed his mother, (gasps) who had been on house arrest for 16 years No, thank you. 16 years. Oh, my gosh. She gets out of house arrest. Her daughters are married off in other kingdoms. Her sons are all ruling provinces. Um, She was the most powerful woman in Europe and was literally under lock and key for almost two decades. That's crazy. Richard is like, everything she does is on behalf of me. Whatever she signs, it's like she's signing my name. Doesn't Uh. matter. My mom's word is the end word. What a good son. Done. Yeah, he's a great son. son. She starts signing things. Eleanor, by the grace of God, Queen of England. (laughs) So Richard's, uh, he's not married yet. But even when he gets married, his mom is considered the queen Mm. and he's considered the king. I love that. Because she still owns a fuck ton of land. (laughs) Um, So her first act as queen to her son is to travel all around England and free Henry's other political criminals. Let them out and let them see that this is new now. Yeah. And she also, as a sign of respect, buries her husband in her abbey in Aquitaine, but also makes her future tomb just a couple inches higher than his tomb so that when people break in in the future, they know who was the powerful one in the relationship. We love to see it. it's great Mm. now this king richard you actually know very well richard lionheart (laughs) are you kidding me is the king richard that's always on the crusades in the robin hood books he's never there and bad king john his little brother 
is the bad king that's always on the throne. Where is Hiss? <laughs> His stupid Hiss. fucking advisor. But that she's their mother. Oh, Richard and John. My God. I know. This is unreal. She's the mother of the Robin Hood kings. I'm. My mind is blown away. That's the best thing I've heard all day. <laughs> I'm really excited about it. <laughs> So, of course, John Lackland, who hates everybody, ends up being a pouty little baby king. And it's true. It is true. It's a true thing. So, Richard's gone on the Crusades. I mean, Eleanor really doesn't want him to go because she did not have a good time on the Crusades. (laughs) Um, It's like someone who went to Woodstock. Like, you do not want to do that in the 90s again, my friend. Please don't. (laughs) No tent living for me. (laughs) Um, But she has a great deal of influence while he's gone. Um, the evidence of her power is just shown in the letters that she has to write to people. Like she is signing for the king. She's the hand of the king. I will say too that um Richard before Richard was coordinated to go on this journey, he forged alliances of goodwill all around the country and he was betrothed to this woman. So like his mom, Eleanor, has to go pick up this woman. And take her to Richard on the path of the Crusades so she can go with him. And then she has to go back to England. But by the time she gets back, John's made a mess of things. Yeah. She's like, what the fuck? John's spreading rumors that Richard's dead and failed the Crusades. And meanwhile, when we talk about the Crusades, the Richard ones are the most famous ones. Mm -hmm. Because he was fighting against Sultan Saladin, who's a very famous Muslim sultan. And these two guys had, like, this really interesting mutual respect fight uh-huh. for each other and like historically the richard um saladin crusades are the best ones okay number three if you want to get into the crusades <laughs> number three is the best crusade three of seven or eight depending on how you count three is the best one okay. anyway not the point so all this is happening she's delivering the wife she's coming back she's trying to fix john's thing but then john is telling everybody richard's dead and going and trying to make this treaty with France. She makes a he makes a treaty with her former like family. And she's like, that's fucking dumb. Then a letter comes to her that the Holy Roman Empire caught her son and is holding him for thousands and thousands of hundreds of thousands of dollars. Richard? That's yeah. But he is doing good he, things for the Holy Roman Empire. Yeah, but he's like on his way back and they catch him. And they sell him to the Holy Roman Empire. And they're like, I bet you can make a lot of money with him. They write a letter to Eleanor. She's trying to write back, like, says things like, I wish for death and blindness. It feels like my entrails are being ripped out. Like, she Mm. loves Richard so much. And John sucks. So she raises a whole bunch of money and does this PR campaign around the country. Like, like, I want you to donate money to Richard's fund. And the nobles start competing to see who can raise the most money. But then France starts trying to raise enough money to outbid England for <laughs> Richard. Anyway, they end up raising the money with her fundraising campaign. He gets back. And Richard's like, John, you're a fucking dick. I'm going to forgive you. Mm-hmm. But you're a dick. So John cuts all ties with France and, like, helps out. So upon Richard's return... He has a re-coronation coronation, and sitting next to him, again, is his mom, not his wife. Eleanor actually survives Richard, which is surprising because of the Crusades and everything. Yeah. She lived longer than him. Um, I think her only surviving child when she died was John, the idiot. 
the sun trader that is always backstabbing. <laughs> but Eleanor had to do one last job for John. She's in her 70s now. <laughs> He's like, we really do need this treaty with the South. So can you go get my niece from Castile? And, uh, like, uh, marry her off with this nephew from France. So she has two generations below her in Castile now. They're marrying with France. We know we just talked about Isabella of yeah. Castile, like, mm-hmm. earlier in the podcast. So that's her bloodline. Wow. Um, she's in her 70s and slowing down. So once she brings them back to get them married, she's like, I'm going to retire to my abbey. But that's where Richard's buried. That's where her husband, second husband's buried. Um, but then her 15-year-old grandson, Arthur I, comes and tries to, like, besiege her abbey. He's what? like, I deserve Aquitaine. Like one okay. of her other nephews Calm or some down. shit. And John actually comes in and captures him. And it's okay. like, can you just fuck, fuck off? Like, f- come on, you're 15. Yeah. So... Eleanor's like, I've had enough of this. I'm actually officially retiring. And she takes on the veil as a nun at her own abbey. She died in 1204 and was entombed next to her husband and her son, Richard. Her tomb effigy is actually, like, really intricate for the time. It's like the kind of sarcophagus where a person is carved on top. Um, And it's just like a weird carving she had she saw it before she died so that's the best rendition we have of her but her her hair is covered with a veil because she was a nun and her eyes are closed so we don't know her hair and eye color but her skin was kind of brown like a brownish color and she had like a long features okay so a lot of times when she's drawn she's drawn with long features but i mean again this is somebody trying to cut marble in the 1100s um I want to remind you that King John is now in charge and he ruins years of Eleanor's work. He's actually the king that pisses off the nobles so much that they make him sign the Magna Carta. Oh, my God. (laughs) I did not realize we were going to get so deep into like pop culture history yeah so the magna carta for people who aren't super familiar is the document where the first time the king of england signed over rights to the people limited rights but for the first time was like the king isn't a hundred percent powerful and it was because he's known as john the bad king he was just bad at his job (laughs) um also the fact that eleanor still owned a huge portion of France led to a big chunk of the hundred years war Ugh. because England owned that land because of who she was married to and who her sons were. But it was in French territory during the French revolution. The tombs were sacked and the bones of Eleanor Henry and Richard were exhumed and scattered and never recovered by the time of her death. Um, she had outlived all of her s- children except for John and Eleanor of Castile. In pop culture, um, she's relatively popular. She inspired Shakespeare's King John. Uh, Catherine Hepburn won an Oscar performing Lion in Winter. And the uh, Queen of Thrones in the Game of Thrones series is based off of her. That's like the older woman with the, all the female heirs who lives like on the island. Queen of Thorns. Do you know who I'm talking about? No. Uh, queen of thorns marjorie's like grandma and oh the one with like the head cover. yeah yeah, yeah. You know, it's so funny is i was like i'm picturing that woman mm. when like you're talking about like her veil and everything i was picturing that woman she was based on eleanor of aquitaine that's so funny 
There are songs written about her. There are plays that she's in. In 2019, the Civilization video game that puts out different Civilization games made her a playable character as either the leader of France or England. Eleanor is irrefutably one of the most powerful and brilliant women of the Middle Ages. She was stunning and charming and educated and often denoted as the grandmother of Europe. (laughs) That's Eleanor of Aquitaine. I am so shocked by her story. She had her hand in like so many things, you know. She was stirring the pot the whole time. I I mean, she the way that modern Europe looks. Yeah. Like she was like the flick at the beginning of the dominoes. Yeah. Because I know we we also said this about Queen Victoria because she had so many children that she was like the grandmother of Europe because her family was in so many lines. Right. Um, but this is like that three hundred years earlier. (laughs) You know, it's like it's the same thing or 500. I was going to say more than 300. So Victoria was in the 1800s. 1800s to 1900s. She died in 1908 or whatever. She was the end of the 1100s. She okay. died. Yeah. So 700 years apart. Yeah. Seven or 800 years. So, but yeah, it's like the, her bloodline is probably somewhere in Victoria's story. And just, I That's had crazy. no idea that like things like Robin Hood and the Magna Carta w- and the Hundred Years War are all connected to her story. That's crazy. Ah, all right. I to be in hot and rich. Come on. <laughs> what more can you ask for? All right. Well, we're going to get two more cocktails and talk about Lucy Lou. Woo! <laughs> Charlie's Angels, come on. <laughs> Can you even? I loved that song. It's so good. It's such a, because like, you know, obviously they did a new Charlie's Angels mm-hmm. and they did a new song for it with like Lana Del Rey and I mm-hmm. think like a Miley Cyrus and whatever. Um, And it's like, don't call me Angel, but it's nothing compared to Destiny's Independent Child. Woman. I mean, and I mean, think about that was like Michelle Destiny's Child. This is third phase destiny's child mm-hmm. that's really important tell me what you think about me <laughs> about my own diamonds and about, about my own rings. rings uh those are the same what a um i feel like that song shaped a generation yeah and so did lucy lou <laughs> all right so what do you know oh wait do we do cocktail first or do what do you we know do what you, what I don't remember. We do cocktail first. All okay. right. Do you want to know what you're about to drink? I sure do. Okay. No, don't tell me. So this is called <laughs> Queen's Lucy because <gasps> she's from Queens. <laughs> Perfect. It is gin, pineapple juice, Angostura bitters, and Aperol, all topped with champagne and garnished with a pineapple stick. Wow. You did Aperol <laughs> and I did Campari. I what a night. Delicious. A pineapple stick. Dick. I love that you I've said never that. seen a pineapple stick before in my life. Guys, they sliced this pineapple with one of those apple. But it must have been slicers. like an industrial one. Like it would have had to be so big. Had to be. Had to be. Giant has those. Uh, <laughs> didn't you know? I didn't. Um, Lucy Liu. What do you know about her? Okay, so Lucy Liu is a Chinese American woman. She was the second Chinese woman on the Walk of Fame. I know that from our anime Wong stuff. Uh, I don't. I mean, obviously, you said she's from Queens, so she's from New York. New York. She. <laughs> Why? You shake. Upsetting. Your- 
<laughs> was that upsetting? Yes. Is that is that like me saying Alabama? Yes. <laughs> Perfect. So um Let's see. I mean, I I like her a lot as an actress. I literally only connect her with Charlie's Angels yeah. because that was when I was like a kid and I saw it in the theaters and oh, I thought did? that the three of them were so cool. I was like, Perfect. Cameron Diaz, Drew Barrymore, and Lucy Liu. Come on. Can there be any better? Oh, I'm Chandler. Sorry. <laughs> that was so 90s. <laughs> and the answer is no, there could not. Okay. So tell me about Lucy Liu. Okay. So she, I want to start this off by saying she's a very private person. Yeah. Which is hard probably to find why, shit. like, we don't really know a whole lot about her personally. Um, so I pieced together things from, uh, there is a podcast called Asian enough and they did a great interview with her about like what it's like being an Asian American woman growing up and like they asked this question where it's like do you ever feel that you're not Asian enough (laughs) (laughs) what a good question yeah it's a great question so it's a really great podcast um I looked at Wikipedia I looked at like a facts first video about her and just kind of like yeah this is a hodgepodge of information of just like scraping the barely an inch of the surface of who Lucy Liu is as a person. But I did find out some really fun things about her. So Lucy Liu was born on December 2nd in 1968 in Queens, New York. I don't picture her as a December baby. No, me neither. She's a Sagittarius, just like yours truly. (laughs) A girl of the night, one might say. I will say she does fit in well with the night court, so I'm not shocked uh she's the youngest of three children born to cecilia who worked as a biochemist and tom Liu, a trained civil engineer um who eventually i think like they were like working a ton of jobs so like they were literally a biochemist and a civil engineer who also they sold digital clock pens on the side just to make extra money like lucy is clear like they did not have a lot of money growing up she was like we were poor. We were just basically told, like, there's nothing for you in the house. Go outside and play. So he's no <laughs> William X. No, he is no <laughs> William X. <laughs> Her parents originally came from Beijing and Shanghai and immigrated to Taiwan as adults. Uh, and then they eventually found themselves in New York, and that's where they met. So they met in New York. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, English was not the primary language spoken in the household that Lucy grew up in. So she grew up only speaking Mandarin until she was five. Wow. She then learned English and would later on learn Japanese, Spanish, Italian, and French. No <laughs> way. She is multi-multilingual. She's super multilingual. That's <laughs> impressive because, okay, so being in the U.S., like, being an ESOL student or an ELL student, like English language learner or English as a second language, whatever your school calls it, is like very hard because we yes. don't have a lot of languages around here. It's not like in other countries where there's tons of different dialects. Uh-huh. We have like a very majority language and everybody else is shit upon. Yep. Exactly. So that's so hard to know all those languages. So hard. Um, and from a young age, she studied the martial art Kali Eskrima Silat. Uh, this is a method from the Philippines, and it is a weapon-based fighting method. And it uh, includes sticks, knives, bladed weapons, various improvised weapons, as well as open-hand techniques without weapons. Shut so, up. She does her stunts. Yes, she does. Stop! <laughs> Woo! 
gross. I know. Like 99% of her stunts she does. Do you think I could hire her as a bodyguard? Yes, I do. Remember when she was on Sex in the City? Yes, I do. And I mention it later. (laughs) Because it's one of the cringiest Samantha moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Um, Over the years, she has also dabbled in rock climbing, horseback riding, skiing. She also played the accordion for many years. She kept the pigs away from the horses, yeah? (laughs) Let me tell you. Lucy Lou, I was just like, she is into so much shit. She's into so much shit. Um, and, you know, so she's doing a lot of things when she's young. But she said, like, she did always kind of want to be an actress. You know, that's not what she went to school for um, later on. But she said she had a neighbor who was just a commercial actress, like just booked local commercials. And Lucy's like, that's the most fabulous thing I've ever seen in my life. Like, and I she just did it that. on the side. Just like, whatever. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. yeah. So um, Lucy attended Joseph Pulitzer Middle School and graduated from Stuyvesant High School. Mm-hmm. That was hard to say. <laughs> she later enrolled at New York University, but after a year transferred to the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, Michigan. What a um, transfer. And it was really interesting because she was like, I went to NYU. But I realized that, like, I grew up in the city. I didn't need to have the city campus experience. She's like, I kind of wanted the campus experience of, like, being, like, this is it. Like, this is where we live in dorms. And, like, it's not just mixed in with the city. She goes, I already lived that. Like, that was my life. So I yeah, wanted something very different. It is a very different experience to be somewhere like, like, in, Mar- like in WAC, right? Like, in Washington College uh-huh. or St. Michael's, whatever mm-hmm. you are. That's it. Yep. You're a little tiny bitty baby college town and you Mm -hmm. live inside. Yep. And that's what she wanted. And she really liked it. She was a member of the Chai Omega sorority and she studied Asian languages and cultures. Hmm. When she was 19 years old, she was discovered how so many people wish to be discovered just riding the subway. Of course she was. uh An agent saw her and wanted to put her in a commercial. So she does this commercial, and this gave her, like, a bit of an acting bug. So in her senior year of college, she tried out for their production of Alice in Wonderland. She auditioned for supporting, but was cast as the lead role. She was Alice? She was Alice. Can you believe that? How forward. I know. I, lo- I get, for, have never been an actor? No. never. Like, she'd done one commercial, and had always been, like, kind of dreaming of doing acting, but, like, you know... Just didn't really think that it was super viable, you know? Right. So she's like, I'm going to do the practical thing. I'm going to study, you know, this more practical thing or whatever. So then she goes back to New York and she starts auditioning for things. Uh, in the meantime, she's working as a secretary. She's working as an aerobics instructor. And while she's auditioning, she is constantly being told, look, there are not a ton of roles for Asian women besides, like, Miss Saigon. They're like, so, like, you're never going to get a part. And she's like, well, I don't really like the word never, you know? So, like, I'm just going to keep doing it until never is not never. Like, hmm. she had a really great quote, quote that I wish I'd written down, but I listened to it, it was in the car, and I did not go back and find it. But she <laughs> – but, yeah, but she was like, okay, well, then I'm going to be the person that, like, isn't never. I'm going to fix that. I'm going to fix that. Um, and – the agents were very clear about this. Like, she was like, agents literally did not know what to do with me. But she kept working hard. She kept auditioning. And eventually she got cast after two years in a play called The Fairy Bones written by Tina Chen. 
That same year, 1992, she made her big screen debut in the Hong Kong film Rhythm of Destiny. So this was uh, a Mandarin-speaking film that she was in, and she had a few other like small TV roles at this time, like nothing major. In 1993, she appeared in L.A. Law, and then she was cast in the starring role of a new sitcom called Pearl. This did not last long. <laughs> it starred Rhea Perlman of Matilda fame and Carol Kane of Adam's Family Values fame. Um, and it was really sweet because Rhea Perlman, Lucy Liu, obviously she gets a Hollywood uh, star walk of fame. Yes, she does. Rhea Perlman is one of the people that speaks. And she was like, I love this girl from the moment I saw her. She was like, I cast her in my show. She has been an integral part of my family like i mean she's married to danny devito so like lucy lou and danny devito are like close friends of course I they love are this idea i love i want to be at that dinner i can't take me can over you imagine? can i be there for christmas please she was like she's so close with my kids they're here right now supporting her like lucy is the best and i love that it all stemmed from like this sitcom that lasted one year right you know um but then couple years passed, 1997, her big, big break came. So she kind of thought it was going to be Pearl. It wasn't. But she had auditioned for the role of Nell Porter in the show Allie McBeal. Mm -hmm. This show, I mean, this role eventually went to Portia de Rossi. But they liked Lucy so much that they created a character just for her. She was a cold and ferocious lawyer named Lingwood. Lingwu, who first appeared in season two as an antithesis to Allie's character. Because Allie is basically good and Ling is evil. <laughs> but they do like to complicate it a little bit. Like, I didn't grow up in the Allie McBeal era. It's a little out of my time range. Yeah. Um, but Allie looks up to Ling's authority. She said, she's my hero. She's vicious. I disagree with almost everything she says. She treats me like dirt. And somehow, she's my hero. Yeah, I mean, Allie McBeal was such a, an iconic show. It was a very good show. So to have a foothold in that universe, mm-hmm. it's very niche, but it, was, it, it wasn't it was like popular like Friends was popular. Right. But it, it was very niche, and the people who love Allie McBeal love Allie McBeal. Yeah. I also love the idea that, like, I didn't realize it was just about, like, a bunch of female lawyers. Yeah. I love that. Maybe I'll do a rewatch. Um, <laughs> maybe it'll be my new bath show. Um she was quickly made a series regular because she was really popular with audiences. She was only supposed to have a couple episode arc. Um, but people loved her. And this is a big step for Asian American actresses. Like there was not a lot of Asian representation on TV. Like I think that we're obviously a little spoiled now. So sometimes it's hard to kind of picture that, you know, like but- in an entirely white yeah sitcom entirely white movies entirely white sitcoms it's almost not it doesn't exist as much i'm sure it does in the eyes of people who are living it Mm -hmm. um but i see there's been so much effort put in to do better yeah and i i think also like margaret cho had had an an all pretty much like it was kind of like the original fresh off the boat like it was Mm -hmm. an all asian cast and it was like about just like a family sitcom and it only lasted like maybe a season maybe just a couple of episodes like just like really disappointing and then i think that people kind of like shied away from it for a little bit Mm. like i've never seen the show yeah but 
yeah i think that that was also kind of like a blow of like we were so close to getting like more asian representation on tv and it was just like whisked away right um but of course her new found fame comes with its downside uh, many people thought that the role was a combination of the hypersexualized exotification of Asian women and the dragon lady trope. Um, like kind of like instead of going for just one stereotype, they went for two. Um, there are a lot of scholarly articles written on the effect of this one character. Uh, but before academia came for her and kind of started analyzing what this really meant, you know, at the time. It was just a big deal for Lucy. She was so excited. This is her big, big break. I mean, she is a regular cast member on a huge popular TV show. Right. And nobody's in there being like, oh, Reese Witherspoon, you are a problem because dumb blonde is an issue. Like nobody's nobody's writing scholarly articles on that. No, that fucking sucks. It does. And you know what? She earned a Primetime Emmy Award nomination for Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Comedy Series and a Screen Actors Guild Award nomination for Outstanding Performance by a Female Actor in a Comedy Series. So, like, I understand that, like, we do have a problem with, like, stereotypical Asian female roles, Mm. but also, like, I don't want to take away from the fact that, like, this was huge for her and huge for a lot of people. And it led to her being cast in (laughs) the iconic movie Charlie's Angels in 2000 alongside Cameron Diaz and Drew Barrymore (laughs) which was a blast of a movie it's so great we watched it recently I watched it with the girls and they loved it it's so good she plays Alex Monday which Monday is spelled M-U-N-D-A-Y which I love it's just such a good name and together the three girls play badass private investigators who work for a mysterious billionaire named charlie this movie is a cult classic still holds up and it led to long-lasting friendships between the three girls and bill murray's in it we'll talk about him Uh oh is it problematic (laughs) bill i'll kill you i will and it's funny because a lot of there were a lot of rumors that like Lucy Liu and Drew Barrymore like didn't get along on the set, which is like totally not true. And they all reunited. So Drew Barrymore obviously has a talk show now and all three girls came back for the very first episode. And it's like kind of sad because it was during COVID. So there's no audience members and they're spaced apart. Cameron Diaz is literally like cgi'd into the room like it's so weird Mm. um they did a great job of it but it's bizarre um but they all reunited and they were just discussing their friendship that has now lasted over 20 years i love that and i just want to point that out because people did this a lot with sex in the city where like they really over-reported like cattiness on set and like ill feelings and like obviously like we're dealing with all this kind of control stuff now but like Sarah Jessica Parker once said, she's like, you know, they had all these sorts of problems on the Soprano set. They were fighting all the time, way more than us. And it only gets reported because like, we're a cast of women and it's frustrating. And I feel like this was happening with Charlie's Angels, too. And like they were talking about it. They're like, we literally traveled the world together. We stayed in hotel rooms together. We were bananas. Like we were just getting into all sorts of trouble. Like they love each other and they were talking about how like they've been through the small stuff together the big stuff together like children being born weddings divorces like 
And those three girls have been there for all of it. And I just, I want to point it out because I love any sort of like female camaraderie. (laughs) Um, There was a little bit of friction on set. Apparently, while rehearsing a scene for the movie, Bill Murray (laughs) started insulting Lucy. (gasps) What did he say? What did he say? Lucy's a class act. She'll never say. She will not go into details, but she said it was inexcusable and it was unacceptable. And from what I understand, the gist of it was, you're not even a good actor. What are you doing here? And this put Lucy in a really bad position. She was the last to be cast. She was the second choice for the role of Alex. And she is a minority. And this is a time where, like, she's literally the only one breaking these barriers for Asian women. And she is also just, like, a young woman in Hollywood. Like, she does not have the chops, any power. Like, this is her first big movie. And she said, I was pretty powerless on set. And here I have the biggest star on the ticket screaming at me, asking me what I'm doing here. And, you know, especially because, like, Bill Marison, Bill Marison, Jesus Christ, Bill, Bill Murray. Murray of Space Jam fame, you know. <laughs> did I say Space Jam? No, you Space, said it right. Space Jam I just fame. thought it was funny, so I laughed. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you know, she was like, I was kind of frozen. I didn't know what to do. And she goes, you know what? I stood up for myself. I was like, you can't talk to me that way. Like. Because the whole, th- I don't know. She goes into it on a podcast. She, like, tells a story. But she's like, I, everything in me was telling me that, like, it's not a good idea. Like, your agents might be mad at you for standing up to him and talking back to him. But she was like, I don't care. Like, I'm doing this. And you know what? Like, other crew members who were there, like, years later, were working on her another movie. And they're like, I really appreciated that you just stood up to him because he was being, like, a real fucking dick to you. So. She didn't. (laughs) Reports of this feud surfaced, and unfortunately, people blamed Lucy for the debacle uh, with the tropes that she was a drama queen, she's unprofessional, etc. You know, it's also like the rumors of her feud with Drew Barrymore were also not helping. Of course. Um, It's unfortunate, but thankfully now other people from the set, including Drew Barrymore, have backed up Lucy's story and set the record straight. So now there's like no question about it. And Lucy has said repeatedly she doesn't harbor any bad feelings towards Bill Murray. Like she literally won't even talk about what exactly he said. Um, And they even met again at an SNL reunion event. And she said he was perfectly nice to me. You know, but the whole incident was just unfortunate and unnecessary. And I don't think she would have ever talked about it if other people hadn't have brought it up, you know. Yeah, and I think sometimes what I forget is, like, when I watched those movies, I looked up to those women like they were adults because I was, like, a teenager or, like, a young 20s. But so were they. Mm-hmm. Like, so when I watch it, I'm like, if you're, like, practically just out of childhood like those girls were probably born in when what year was she born 68 68 yeah so in 2000 so she's what 32 i mean 32? she's i was born in 86 so she's not she's 18 years older than me mm-hmm. so like when i looked up to her as an adult but she was probably young 30s late 20s when she did that role and if a very adult, very superior man is yelling at you, that's yeah. intimidating and very hard to stand up to. Yeah. And she fucking did it. I'm like, I'm so impressed with her. 
Um, and thankfully, Bill was replaced by Bernie Mac in the 2003 sick sequel, Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. So she didn't have to deal with that again. <laughs> um, but speaking of SNL, in December 2000, Lucy Liu made history as the first Asian woman to host Saturday Night Live, which was so exciting. And then, of course, in 2003, she starred in Kill Bill. She played villain Oren Ishii, and she ended up winning an MTV Movie Award for Best Villain. <laughs> Good. And people, she played, like, this really, like, cool, like, boss character who, like, beheads a man. Like, she's a good fighter. She's good with a sword. Like, whatever. But that, and that's what Kill Bill's good for. Yeah, exactly. And I was thinking about this today because I was listening to this interview with her. And they asked her, they said, like, she wrote an op-ed piece recently for, like, the Washington Post or something because there had been some, again, new scholarly articles about her character and saying that, like, it's such a stereotypical role and, like, da-da-da-da-da, and, like, this is setting women back. And she kind of fired back at it and was like, I was really proud of this role. I'm like, what do you want? The female head of the Yakuza to not be an Asian woman? Like, yeah. (laughs) Do you want it to be a white girl with red hair? (laughs) Is that what you want? And so she kind of fired back because she was like, I'm kind of sick of like people being like, you should be like ashamed of these roles. And she's like, I'm not. She takes a lot of thought into the roles that she picks and chooses. And she goes, I don't care if anything I do is a flop because I chose it and I wanted to do it. She goes, I get excited about a script and I literally don't care how it turns out because like I read it and I want to do it. Well, it's also crazy because you're talking about like, okay, there's all these like um, the Marvel movies about the seven rings that like Mm -hmm. all take place in Asian communities. They're all playing stereotypic, stereotypical Asian Mm -hmm. roles. Yeah. And it's like, you know, at some point, like some roles are written for Asian people, right. <laughs> but the the backlash or the good thing about that is now we have like in movies like um, to all the boys I love before you have a traditional white role going to an Asian girl. Yes. And we don't have that without people like Lucy Liu. Exactly. Which is troubling, but also great that she did that for us. She was like willing yeah. to bridge that gap. Yeah. Uh, she was also, I didn't remember this, but she was in the movie Chicago. Yes, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, playing a non-stereotypical role. Um, she played Kitty Baxter, a triple murderess, uh, which I really love. And she also cameoed as herself in season four of Sex and the City. Uh, mm-hmm. again, showcasing one of Samantha Jones's worst moments, but I think showcasing the best of Lucy Liu and that she was not going to be taking advantage of. And she also was proudly affirming that, yes, she was from Queens and she did not get handed her fame or her status in life, which I love. (laughs) So she's killing it in Hollywood. She's a bona fide movie star. But then in 2004, she changes pace. She goes back to college. (laughs) What? From 2004 to 2006, she attended the New York Studio School for Art. She studied drawing, painting, sculpture, and sold her art under the name Yu Link, which is her Chinese name. She makes beautiful artwork that is sometimes collage work or erotic lesbian painting. Sometimes just like like there's one picture that she's particularly proud of, and it's like a family portrait. And like it's all like these really bold brush strokes and bright color and like She's very, very good. And she will also 
literally dumpster dive for cool things and make sculptures out of them. She's incredibly talented and her art has been featured in galleries all over the world. And since her artwork is fairly separate from her acting, she typically donates a large portion of her art sales to charity organizations such as UNICEF. Did you know that that she has a booming art career no idea. under a different name no idea <laughs> no why give, me, give me more of that come on <laughs> secret arts career i know and then i in- wish i had one career let <laughs> <laughs> alone a secret one um and then in 2012 she was cast as joan watson in the show elementary so this show is i loved that show i've never seen it now Katie, i want to watch it it is so good and she is the best at being like dr watson yeah i just like jake and i watched that every week without fail wow. we loved it i love that it was very good <laughs> because it's fun to watch her like set straight like the addict oh like they did a very good job of making sherlock holmes and a recovering addict mm-hmm. and her being like a a doctor that's like a, a great secondhand man like yeah it's a great show i really want to watch it um so if you don't know it's a modern retelling of sherlock holmes where sherlock holmes is a recovering drug addict escaped from rehab and he's living in new york and joan watson lucy Liu, is a female sober companion so she's literally there just to keep him sober <laughs> and i will tell you that show his row home is so red red i there's too much red on the screen it hurts my eyes okay (laughs) that's the only comment i have about the show um like with any beloved franchise there were some people upset about the changes particularly the fact that lucy lou was going to be playing watson fans were nervous that a woman playing the part would take away from the role so it wasn't necessarily that she was an asian woman just like a woman in general yeah they're like it's gonna take away from the homoerotic feeling between them and it's like what? <laughs> they can have their own sexual tension. Yeah, they can have different <laughs> sexual tension. Or it's, they could have no sexual tension. Yeah, or none. Everything Whatever. Be, everything's going to be actually fine. <laughs> so not only did, this, did the show become a hit with very positive reviews for the majority of the seasons, but Lucy also became a more powerful character and agent as the series progressed. Well, and she was a household name at that oh, point. Oh, yeah, she was. Easily. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we saw her on the show, I, I mean, we knew her from Charlie's Angels fame. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, she was a household name. Like, everybody knows who Lucy Liu is. Of exactly. course. Um, but I love that in the show she got more powerful. Like, Watson started solving her own mysteries apart from Sherlock. Mm. And Lucy also put in her contract for season two that she wanted to start directing episodes. Like, Good. she was becoming much more involved in the actual production of the show. She had been interesting, interested in directing for a while, and she thought that this might be a good opportunity. She directed seven episodes of Elementary. She directed an episode of Luke Cage, Law and Order SVU, and other shows, including her 2019 show, Why Women Kill. She also, at some point, got back to Broadway, where she starred in a Tony Award-winning play called God of, Con- God of Carnage. And, you know, it would take too long and be too boring just to go through the millions of movies and TV shows that she's been in or directed. So... I'm going to take this time now to just go through the other elements of her life. She has been a lifelong vegetarian since she has been a kid. 
Lucy has always been a spiritual person. She studied Buddhism, Taoism, and Jewish mysticism, like Kabbalah. Is it Kabbalah? Kabbalah. Um, but has never subscribed to anyone in particular. She once said about it, I'm into all spiritual, anything to do with meditation or chants or any of that stuff. I studied Chinese philosophy in school. There's something in the medical metaphysical that I find very fascinating. Uh, but her personal life has always been a bit secretive. She has been briefly romantically linked with people such as George Clooney, William McCormick, and an Israeli hedge fund billionaire named Noam Gottesman. <laughs> she was engaged briefly to a director named Zach Helm, but they never tied the knot. But there is one very significant relationship in her life, and that is with her five-year-old son, Rockwell who was born in 2015 via a surrogate. When asked about her son and her choice not to carry the baby herself, she says that it was absolutely the right decision for her. She said, I was working a lot. I didn't want to put my career on hold to have a baby. I didn't want to put my body through that. So she is now just a really outspoken supporter of non-traditional families. I mean, she is a single working mom who had a surrogate. That is very niche. <laughs> it's super niche. And she is just like, but it's working for me. It's the, it was the, she's so confident in her decisions. And that is one thing I'm so like jealous of her that she has that, you know, mm. I love that. Um, and on May 1st, 2019, Lucy was honored with a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. She, her star is next to anime Wong's. And of course she used this opportunity to thank a lot of people, but she specifically talked about the impact that anime Wong had. And, you know, we know her from covering her story and she had a long but difficult career as an Asian woman in Hollywood. And I just, I love that she used this time to really acknowledge the impact that she had on her and like paving the way because we talk about that a lot on this show about like we think about some women as what is it pavestones or whatever mm -hmm. but there are also other women that come before them that we don't talk about as much and anime wong was definitely one of them and she didn't even know that they were going to put their stars near each other until like a couple days before the ceremony and she was so excited she was like look at this we got our own little chinatown right here <laughs> And this is even more perfect because just a year before she had her uh, Hollywood Walk of Fame star ceremony, Aquafina hosted SNL, becoming only the second Asian-American woman to host, which meant that there was an 18-year gap. And in her monologue, Aquafina told the story of how Lucy Liu impacted her growing up. She talked about how she waited outside of 30 Rock for hours when Lucy hosted. She said, I was just a kid. I didn't even have a ticket, so I couldn't get in. But I just had to be near the building where it was happening. It was a life-changing moment for her. And she said it showed her what was possible for an Asian-American woman. So although Lucy's story is not yet over, and maybe we don't know quite as many salacious details about her life like we do others in the public eye, I wanted to end on this positive note. I want to end by reminding people that even if you feel like an imposter or an outsider or like you don't belong, just being there matters to someone. Mm. 
And that's the story of Lucy Liu. And now Aquafina is scuttle. I know. <laughs> I was all right. So I watched Aquafina's monologue, and I was sobbing. Bawling. I was sobbing because I love that she was like, "I was just, I just needed to be by the building. I just wanted to touch the building. I need to be there. <laughs> that's so sweet." All right. Oh. So now we need to talk about these two ladies. <laughs> In a little segment we like to call Just the Two of Us. Okay. So I just want to point out these ladies have a lot of hobbies. Yes. <laughs> they're so really good at a many. lot of things. They, they were good at a lot of things. Rock climbing, hawking, hunting, <laughs> speaking lots of languages. They were just. Some of that is prepping yourself to be able to deal with culture. Oh, because yes. if you are too niche, like, and you're also like um, othered, then it's very hard to take hold in society. Yeah. So part of it is like I didn't know, like, I knew that Lucy Liu was Chinese American, but I didn't know that she spoke English as a second language. Yeah. Because she speaks it without an accent, mm -hmm. which means she has trained herself to do that, and that's what queens did in courts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. And I feel like they also had, like, pretty close families, you know? Like, I feel like Lucy's family is very close. Eleanor's family was very close. And I think that that prepares you for life in yeah. a very certain way. And also, like, I mean, and this is the same for people who don't come from very close families. Mm. I think they're just very different preparations. Like, I think that Eleanor and Lucy maybe learned from their families and from that tight-knit, you know, um, kind of connection that, like, I'm just going to be who I'm going to be. Because, like, these people already accept me, mm -hmm. you know, so I can kind of go out into the world with a sense of who I am already. And I think that that really gave them a leg up. Like, I think both of them heard the word never and were like, that word doesn't work for me. Mm. <laughs> well, and I think that they were both comfortable with female friendship as well, yes. which I think bolsters you up when you feel like you're being othered and you're around people like you, at least in one aspect of your life. It really does give you the legs that you need to stand. Yeah. I, I did write that the court of love just totally reminded me of Charlie's angels. Just this thing that like, you know, critics slam charlie's angels because like it's a bad movie i'm like i don't give a shit that it's bad you know what it is it's a fun movie mm -hmm. and it's a movie that i can watch over and over again because i fucking love it and maybe the court of love was just there to give women a space to talk and they give women a space to talk about their relationships in a way they hadn't before you know what i'm saying it's well, like whoa, what other space did medieval women have to be like my husband is doing this thing that I don't like. <laughs> well, it's also upsetting because that reminds me of the fact that like whenever somebody says something's a guilty pleasure, they're always talking about a girl thing. Mm. They'll be like, oh, when I watch that sitcom or that reality show or when I go shopping, it's a guilty pleasure. Boys never yeah. go, oh, golfing. That's, That's my, my guilty, guilty pleasure. pleasure. <laughs> because you're supposed to feel guilty about partaking in your femaleness. Yeah. And these women did not feel guilty about their femaleness. Yeah. And that is powerful. It's very powerful. And I love it. And I also love that both of these women are very public, very public. But one of them, like, you know, Eleanor Ackernate, she couldn't help that her life was becoming very public knowledge because it was literally a matter of, like, global politics. <laughs> <laughs> and... I almost feel like we know more about Eleanor of Aquitaine's private life than Lucy Liu, who is a very modern woman. We do. Which I think is so funny. I mean, because we also have, like, you know, 
Eleanor's life was kind of consumed by her marriages and who she married mm-hmm. and how many kids she had. And I kind of love that Lucy's like, no, I'm just going to let my work speak for myself. And like my marriages and like that, my romantic life is not going to define me. Well, and they also both like took blame in their success. Mm-hmm. It was like Lucy Lou was like, hey, you got this amazing role, but we don't like that it personifies X, Y, Z. And the same thing is true with Eleanor becoming a scapegoat for things that she mm. was not a not a part of people are like looking at female success and saying that oh that's your fault mm-hmm. and they were both like i don't give a shit what you think right. they were right. both confident in their decisions like you said confident it was like i decisions. don't give a shit that you think that this role personifies this yeah because to me it's powerful mm-hmm. that they chose an asian woman to play this role right for eleanor it's powerful that my father chose me to inherit his land right even though some people may be like that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I think they're both very confident in their decisions. And I just, and I loved it. You know, Eleanor is a patron of the arts. She really wanted to encourage that. And like Lucy is also a patron of the arts. She is so uh, three dimensional. She's her an artiste. She is an artiste. And I kind of love that like both of them also saw that as an important part of like not only their lives, but like the public's life. I mean, both of them got picked up for being teenagers that were hot. Yeah. <laughs> like, can, could you, be better. can you imagine? <laughs> just kidding. It <laughs> can be something terrible. <laughs> but there's just people who are just like, yeah, you're super beautiful. And I yeah. think you'd be good at this. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a type of privilege that I will never understand. But yeah. like, it's cool. It's very cool. Still very cool. <laughs> Wow. All right. They have more in common than Whoa. I expected. I know. Okay. All right. So who would you like to toast this evening? Um, I want to toast the women who spend a decade in house arrest and don't let it get them down. <laughs> Cheers. So Cheers. Sp- specific. <laughs> mm. All right. I'm going to toast the women who make us feel seen. I know this is like... <laughs> This was not meant to make me feel seen, but I felt seen by Lucy Liu's character in mm. Charlie's Angels because she had dark hair. And like we've talked about this a million times, but like the ethnic girls always had dark hairs. They ethnic. always the girl, had dark the women hair. of color. So like, yeah. I always felt so much more connected with them because like the leads were typically blonde girls. And like I felt so connected to Lucy Liu's character. And, you know, so I can't even imagine the incredible impact that she had on actual like young Asian women <laughs> um, and just other young girls who maybe felt like, man, she's a badass and like, I want to be like her. Mm. So to Cheers. Lucy. <laughs> to Lucy. All right. Now, what are you enjoying in pop culture this week? So this is a very important promo. Okay. It is Pride Month. Mm-hmm. Um, and library Instagrams across the country post their pride books and their pride this and their pride that. Um, but in many places, specifically in anti-pride locations, they're being entirely trolled online. So my promo is that if you see a library posting something, and I, I've talked about this with sister, um, just please comment positive online. Yeah. We need to up the comment, the positive comments on companies that are partaking in pride specifically libraries like there are some countries that yes do it companies that do it for virtue signaling of course but libraries are spending all year thinking about how many books do we have that have um 
characters in the LGBTQ community and how do we fit that into the library and how do we support kids and how do we bring in like libraries do so much more than just post online like their yeah. collection of books is a literal free collection for the public yeah. and if we tried to instill the library right now people would say it was socialist yeah so it is an amazing organization and we need to support how much they support pride yeah. so our friend we have a lot of friends in Georgia get online mm -hmm. find the pride post from the library and say get at it yeah so it. It's just, um, it's very problematic. Marjorie tuned me into this, that libraries, yeah, I didn't know that that was a libraries are being entirely shunned because they're carrying pride books. <sighs> and like in history, has, have the book banners ever been the good guys? Yeah. Like ever once? <laughs> Do we know? Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure they've never been the good guys. No, never. So <laughs> like, can we like everybody get on the side <sighs> of not banning books and like come together on the internet to be like, oh, this is gosh. the positive thing. Jesus. Okay. What do you, I, this is very personal to me yeah. and it's very upsetting. Mine's not personal at all. I'm going to do Charlie's Angels. Go watch it. It's, it's so, so good. And the twist, it gets me every time. Right. I love that movie so much. I really, really do. Um, it's just fun. It's campy. <laughs> Matt LeBlanc is in it. Um, <laughs> a dream. Um, Joey. What's it called? Um, uh, Green, not Seth Green. Tom Green. Tom Green is in it. I know his little starfish. <laughs> Bananas. Falling um, out of the toot horn of a yeah. boat. <laughs> I love it. So just go watch it if you yeah. want to just have a nice time. <laughs> all right. Well, you can find us everywhere. Join us on Instagram and LinkedIn and Facebook and all the things. Uh, we would love it if you would leave us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. That would be wonderful. And if you want more of this and you want to hear our thoughts on true love, join us on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. You can hang out, buy us a drink, and support the show so we keep on doing this crazy thing. <laughs> but most of all, we want you to never forget that well-behaved women turn down difficult positions. Yeah, they do. And they really make history. Goodbye. Goodbye.